0: We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Previously on cascading leadership. So there was a couple of different signposts when you when we opened the show that you mentioned that you were in sales and then you spent some time a little bit later on on the implementation side and on the consultancy side for Workday. Work what were the big lessons that you learned? in both of those roles that paired you for your current role
1: yeah now i'm the ceo of Ethobot sales i don't know how most entrepreneurs would do it without that kind of a background in the beginning And when you're in sales you're really prepared and know the process of actually selling to investors so you don't get as discouraged as easily when i was at workday and warner bros i really got to see how communication systems education systems and government systems all interacted with each other at separate times of course But this actually taught me a lot about how things and the way that the world works in terms of how knowledge is dispersed how communication patterns happen and how we actually see the world from both the government education and media standpoint
0: tell us a little bit more about what uh, what specifically you're referencing when you say hey working at workday and working in sales opened You're actually working at Workday specifically helped you better understand how these different large structures kind of work together.
1: It's just eye opening to see that on the back end, to just see how much it is that really goes into building these systems, how old and archaic they are. Once understanding all of those things about these systems, you really actually think about it. You're like, no wonder there's so many issues out there. This stuff is really old. It's really, there's too many steps. It's too complex. And then you really start taking it from a very high-end level and breaking it down into pieces that allow you to solve for a lot of these complex issues.
0: Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about what you're up to now. And before we dive into the granular details, I think it's important for you to lay out the problem that you were trying to solve that was the genesis of of Etha. So when we were talking hey, the political landscape, the communication landscape, the business landscape, all of these different things. What did you see that was informed by all your previous experience as an implementation consultant and your time in Africa and all of that sort of stuff? How did all of that feed into your understanding of these different landscapes? And now the conclusion of this episode of Cascading Leadership.
1: I'd say between South Africa, the way I had my professional experiences involved, but also this one problem of not being able to talk to a lot of my friends or family about politics or certain policy and laws because things get extremely emotional, I realized that there's a huge problem. One, it's with misinformation, and two, it's, of course, to do with a lot of sensationalism around politics because of all of this incorrect information. COVID was a great example of that. I lost my job during that time frame. I had another startup, and throughout this time frame, I had a very crazy journey on the way back home. I got to meet a lot of different people throughout that journey. And these people actually showed to me that one had something different to say about COVID. I literally drove my car from California all the way back to Florida. So I got to cross a lot of states and no one had the same exact thing to say about COVID. To me, that's the most frightening thing because no one really knows and everyone is really confused about something like that. And especially when it's such a big crisis, that I was just like, the big cortex of all of this and how the media actually operates is through its cycles. So every two years, you see a huge cycle in political news that goes up. And in order to help counter this misinformation, this disinformation in the political space, and to really help hold politicians accountable, you have to really create an all-encompassing system that really does account for cleaner news to begin with, so people can make better decisions And talk and text and think about these politicians in a better light and understand what they're reading before making judgments that help our democratic processes. You know, and right now we don't really have all of that because all of our communication, all of this political landscape is extremely broken. There's so many things that are wrong with it and it reflects very hardcore to the American public. If you think about it, nothing in Congress is actually being done right now. Everything's landlocked. No one can really make a law moving forward or moving backwards. And no one can really seem to agree on a lot of these things. There's extensive bias that's permeated through the media. A lot of toxicity on social media as well when talking about these things and no current way to hold a politician accountable. Etha really does everything that a news media house like Fox, CNN do. Everything that a Twitter and a Facebook do, and anything that a fact checker does, all under one roof, that is also going to be a benchmark for freedom of speech as well to help counter with a lot of these issues that we see over time.
0: That's a big vision. So a lot of the things that you mentioned, they're they're great from an aspirational perspective. And the way that I was reacting to it when when you were describing it, I think all of that is solid. The gap that I see is that this requires, there's a technology solution to it, but the people solution that I don't know how you solve is that the broader population, a lot of people in general, can't separate how they feel from how they think. And they confuse feeling and thinking. So you get into this scenario where everything is polarized. So if we accept the premise that people have a hard time differentiating between thinking and feeling. How do we fix that? My argument would be that needs to be fixed before we have a technology solution that that solves it as well.
1: I'd say that's a very complex answer to solve for. But I would say like a lot of this has to really do with being able to show and have everyone naturally come to their own conclusion about these things. So that's why we first started off with politician statements and holding politicians accountable. Right? You can up and down vote in real time and also see how other people are thinking and feeling about that politician. But then the other half of it is solving for the AI. So let's take a statement. Let's say a politician, let's use me for an example, says I love you for the first time on the web. Our AI will actually be able to see that statement and who and where, when, why, and how, and what it's been said by, and then actually track that narrative over time. So people actually can see Fox and CNN story, but then all, everyone else's story in that community. And this will actually allow for people to come to their own perceptions first, instead of taking one-sided hits to one another and talking bad about it. People will be talking about what the politician is saying, as opposed to fighting against one another on this, just because of the way that we have the platform set up, the architecture. It's not going to block or ban anybody. But it's gonna really show who the people that are extremely constructive and actually trying to fix an issue and a policy or a law within communities. Or you could also see the other side of it of who the deconstructive people are and stay away. It's just gonna score how politicians are reacting. It's gonna score users if they're doing good or bad. It's gonna also score journalists and news media houses for how well they're actually giving all of this type of information to the general public and if it's correct. So this is the new creator economy that Etha will bring with its architecture as well.
0: I think what's interesting about what you just described in relation to the current media structure, like all media, even NPR, is Mm -hmm. currently constructed in a way that the ratings for the particular show is what's going to drive revenue. So there is an incentive for them to be Sensationalist. So that will inform what you amplify. So if I understand what you're describing about Etha correctly, you're using the platform and using the data behind the platform to decide what messages get amplified. And it's tilted. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but it's tilted towards constructive amplification versus what we have right now across all sorts of platforms where it's the bananas people that have the amplification. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah. And it's also even going to show where all of these deconstructive people lie, right? Like if they're on Facebook and if they're on social medias, if they're on like Fox and CNN chat rooms, you actually can see where they'll be on the platform as well in the future. There're gonna, There's going to be a good, bad, and ugly comments section. And if the, and An extremist example, if the KKK and Black Panthers wanted to be in a chat, Things are gonna happen that way and transpire on this. But on the other half, people that have children and want to only show the good versions of the news and things that are escalated on the good side and the constructive side of things to fix stuff, that's what they'll get to see. They'll get to see very many multiple perceptions of these stories through the people that are actually on the ground as opposed to being moderated to death as well. This is gonna be one of those things that you hit the nail right on the head.
0: The other interesting thing that that I just picked up on. So there's not going to be much in terms of moderation to death. And you, it sounds like what you're describing is you have like buckets of where people can self-identify and occupy. If I'm understanding that correctly, how do you keep all the bananas people from driving all the constructive people off the platform? And now you just have this single echo chamber where all the wackadoodles hang out and yell at each
1: other. Yeah, We haven't gotten that far in our solution, but it is a part of developing that echo chamber process those people will be there but they will actually have all the chances to get out of that spot and they could only see a limited amount right so they only get to see two deconstructed people at once but they'll get to see everyone else's messages but their names are going to be blurred out right there's certain things that aren't going to those deconstructed people to be there and ultimately, they'll get frustrated where they just don't go on this thing because it's not going to be friendly to liars and people that are like sensationalizing things. We've already accounted for bots as well, even to the dark web to take them off of our platform out. Just because of how small our company is, it's easier to do things like that. If like it's extremely deconstructive and it's in one of those chat rooms and things like that. People are obviously going to have to upload an end to end verification of themselves in order to be even included in stuff like that. So we can track that stuff. That's not something that is it shouldn't be like shown to everyone. Right. Because these are some things that the system will also help account for and find active shooters, terrorists and things like that through this platform as well. So that's why we do keep it open to some extent. Not to the point where people can create complete groups and hate speech and things like that off of the platform.
0: One of the interesting implications in terms of architecture when I think about this, I think we have this idea and it's a media fed idea that 50% of the population thinks one way, 50% thinks the other way when the reality 5% on either side thinks this particular way. And then you have 90% of the population that's in some sort of range across the spectrum. And it it goes back to that amplification component. If I'm understanding the architecture or the vision for Etha, it's to bring in the 90% that are interested in at least having a conversation about any number of things without saying you're trash, you're trash, and then throwing poop at each other like a bunch of crazy monkeys. Sorry. But that's pretty cool in terms of focusing on and designing and architecting a way where you're amplifying certain messages and you're isolating out just out of sheer boredom. Like the people that want to be bananas are going to get bored because they have nobody that's going to react to them. So they just leave that that's pretty slick. So now we have a good overview of the architecture and at least a vision of as a product or a platform. That's, there's a long way to go from here's the vision of what it could be to actually building an organization around it. So when we're talking about building a startup with this vision in mind, what were some of the things that you considered as you're building out the organization and also bringing all the technical knowledge to bear?
1: Diversity first is one of the biggest things. Our team is 87% diverse. This is a huge thing for us in terms of when training the AI. We don't want to have the same issues that other companies have run into like Microsoft with with their picking up different backgrounds of colors and races of people. A lot of this has to do with the technical teams. One should be on that team equally as diverse that creates and puts input into the AI so that it can be trained properly, right? But also from a creativity standpoint, diversity first, this has also been studied across the board, is that diversity does bring quite a bit of creativity and solution and complex problem-solving to teams that help conquer some of these enormous challenges that are ahead of us.
0: So you just touched on something in terms of the flaws in some AI design, and you specifically mentioned Microsoft as one example, but there's plenty of others. When you're looking at designing an effective AI, how does the diversity of the team from a programming perspective play into the efficacy of the AI platform?
1: There's going to be several AIs being built out, right? So one of the AIs will actually be responsible for capturing all the bots and all of these weird, crazy people on the platform. Another AI will actually be responsible for tracking the bias per article. So one statement, let's say, I love you, for instance, and it's, you could actually see that statement by who it was posted, the politician, for example, here but then also all of the news media house that have posted that same exact statement and actually get to see the level, the percentage of bias on each of these news media houses as to how biased they are. But then the third and final part, the other AI, this is the most pivotal part to our platform is how the AI will actually cover and help the news. So imagine a dot, right? And then a web of dots around this center dot, right? That center dot represents the origination source. So again, in the sense, Let's take a fake celebrity death, for instance. Right. This is the first time that that fake celebrity death was been mentioned. It was said by some four a.m. prankster blogger. And you could actually see how it was tracked and expanded all the way up to a national level story like Fox and CNN. That's actually how a lot of news media houses work is that journalists do sit on smaller blogs and actually look for juicy headlines for more viewership numbers as opposed to looking for a credible verified stories they've got a lot of bureaucracy to move past forward as well but this ai actually finds that communication pathway and expands to sit showing all the sensationalism all of the bias and showing the true blue story behind that discovery of the origination source of what's been said from that source.
0: That's an interesting sort of pathway that you just described. And the reason why I'm particularly intrigued by it is that by and large, when you look at the modern reader or the modern consumer of printed news, they don't really read more than like a paragraph or two beyond the headline. And oftentimes they'll make broad statements just based purely on the headline. So when you look at how Aetha navigates that communication channel all the way to the source, is that the problem that it's seeking to solve where consumers of news can say, okay, here's the story, but here's the actual meaning of the story versus just what the headline says.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what it's doing. It's going to make the story easier to read while educating our users about it point by point into very digestible material, both audio, visual, and text. That, that way it could solve for also media literacy. That's a huge problem as well as some people that may not be proficient in reading listen to a lot. Of it. But it also, the AI will be solving for a lot of that sensationalism. And this is truly where misinformation comes from, is people first not knowing where the source of it came from, if it's actually even credible, And then they run with it because they think it's actually credible just because of how thoughtfully written out that story is. And then really trap it and corner that like false story and false information because we already have an ecosystem or a neural net built around this web of stories and journalists and news media houses in order to help capture that information and make sure that it's sent correctly throughout all channels.
0: The other part of it that... uh... If you take out the left versus right or bias component out of it, and people have a hard time even deciphering between actual news and satire. So we've seen it plenty of times in our networks where somebody has actually shared out some article from a clearly satire site and said, this is true. And like, it takes maybe a minute and a half of Googling to find out, oh, this is not real. But I would think that Aetha probably solves that issue too, where people are just confusing the intent of an article when it's clearly satire or comedy or some other commentary.
1: Yeah, it will do that as well. It will tell, here's the level of bias and all the way giving to the percent of factualness it is. It'll have just a percentage on each article. We'll be using natural language processing or NLP that reads through all of these articles and actually gives a percentage based on that article's factuality and a whole bunch of other factors that do come into making it a much cleaner story for everyone to read and enjoy.
0: So I want to go back to some of the design principles that you're talking about. You mentioned that 87% of the team is diverse and you hinted at, hey, the the upside of that is that you get a fairer, more representative AI. How are those two things related?
1: Yeah. With AI, if you have a very least diversified team, there's not a lot of creative solution thinking. It's, it causes a lot of groupthink. almost an eco-chamber in its own way. But I'd say within a very diverse team, it allows for a lot of different thoughts to be processed as to how to train the AI, just based off of our own personal experiences and backgrounds. If we have an all-white team, it's not going to work because we don't know anything about Black culture similarly with Indian culture or Asian culture or any other culture if you don't know or haven't been a part of that culture or aren't that culture it's not going to be very easy for you to just jump right into that perception of that person or that like representation of that mass of people because you just never had any interaction with it
0: The other thing that I'm wondering about is if, if you're leveraging AI to basically try to neutralize so make the news neutral versus left or right, in terms of how the bias is calculated. Couldn't you make the argument that the AI could be tricked into thinking that something is clearly left or right, could be pushed towards the center based on where opinion is mobilized to upvote it?
1: It's going to be a two-folded answer there. It's going to have people also helping with the moderation and the AI. The AI tracks all of those very toxic patterns, so you'll automatically know, but human verification will be added as an extra step. The, on the other hand, it's also a part of just being able to have this net of people and data. We'll be able to tell just naturally how to separate that. But also the AI will have these learning processes in place where it stops learning an extreme behavior. It's called focal loss and focal stopping. These are two techniques that actually prevent the AI to learn some of those extremist patterns to manipulate the offset of all of this.
0: Nicole, this has been a phenomenal conversation. There's been a lot of different topics in it that we've gotten into. There's at least like six or seven different takeaways. But when we look back on this conversation... What are the two or three most important things that you want people to walk away from?
1: Yeah, I'd say the key takeaways from my end, it's perception is everything and really don't take anything with a grain of salt. Really lead into any conversation, anything. Almost be a yes man in a way and really have an open mind in anything that you do because it will open a lot of doors for you. And I'd say the next one would be is that in terms of startup land and being an entrepreneur, You learn nothing more than being an entrepreneur itself. Every day is you're constantly learning and improving on something new. And it's just the best way to really approach life is just to find the freedom in what you really like to do and just make it your own. Just to not be the cog in the wheel for the long run, I'd say really start working on any plans that anyone has and really just start.
0: Great stuff, Nicole. So the last question that I have for you, where can people find you?
1: Sure thing. You can go to our website or the Apple Google Play Stores. So you could type in Etha, E-T-H-A, or you could go to our website, Etha.one, E-T-H-A dot O-N-E, not dot com.
0: Got it. You're also pretty active on LinkedIn too, right?
1: Yes. We're on all social medias as well. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn.
0: Discord.
1: Yes. (laughs) That's where we
0: connected is on Discord. Nice nice chatting with you and uh, learning more about your story. For those of you who are catching this episode, obviously you can find us on any of your major podcast platforms and you will also find us on YouTube, on TikTok. We're obviously on LinkedIn. We're on Facebook. We're also launching a new show under the banner of Talent Strategy 60, which will be a LinkedIn live show. So there's a lot of stuff going on. But for those who are interested and our and fans, make sure you like, subscribe, follow, share, leave reviews, all that good stuff, and help Cascading Leadership grow. So, Nicole, thank you for joining us great conversation. Looking forward to uh, watching Atha continue to grow.
1: Thank you so much, Jim. Have a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook